National media continues to exaggerate and promote misleading negative headlines designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Remember, the only people who want to defund the police and dismantle these agencies are the criminals. And don't forget to thank a cop. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Pima County Attorney Laura Conover. And we have a, an intern working with us this morning who's going to help us with the show, Emma Underwood. And thank you for being here, both of you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm, I'm very pleased to be back, Sherry. We have a lot to talk about. And, and basically, the topic today is going to be about the Ashley bill that was turned down, didn't pass in, in the House. I want people to understand how the laws work from county to county to county because it seems like there's some discrepancies in what happens up in uh, the northern part of the state, not necessarily in the south. So I know you remember what happened with this bill. Can you explain to us what's going on with this? Yeah, absolutely, Sherry. I can take us back um, to one of the most difficult moments I've had in the job so far and it came it came pretty early on it was it was my first um, uh, participation as a county attorney up at the state legislature and there was uh, what's called a a drug homicide bill that had been proposed Um, and the idea as it had been marketed was that it would help us and give us a new tool Uh, in the fight against fentanyl. The problem was that the bill as written um, was going to make the transfer of any narcotic. Okay, so let's let's break it down right there. Not sale, but transfer, and we'll get into that, of any narcotic, not just fentanyl, that leads to another person's death within the next 24 hours... Um, a homicide with mandatory minimum of prison. And by that time, I had been in office long enough that I had already seen a few cases where um, a spouse, a sibling, a best friend is supplying a loved one who is is near death, chronic pain, you know, horrifying pain, and they're and they're providing it. Um, and and the idea that this that this person might be held accountable for murder um, was was not uh, at all what the bill you know originally was was aimed for. It w- it was so broad. So it it doesn't specifically state you know unless somebody is in a near death situation, it doesn't carve that out no no there were no exceptions and and the other problem as well that i explained to the legislature when i testified is i said look if we're talking about the transfer of any drug and then a death 24 hours later then what happens at like a frat party where someone has provides coke cocaine to everyone and then a kid dies 24 hours later of like an alcohol poisoning overdose um, but the cocaine is still in their system, and then you're tracking back to the party. You know, I said that this is just this is a massive expansion with with unintended consequences, and it was excruciating to try to explain all this because a number of parents had just testified before me about the loss of their child to an opioid overdose, 
and the room was just filled with so much sadness and trauma and grief and I addressed them first in my overwhelming um, sympathy and empathy for their loss but I but I had to explain to the to the House Judiciary Committee that the bill um, wasn't wasn't anywhere near what what the purpose of it might have been and at that point I also shared that that in Pima County I was already indicting people for manslaughter in Pima County if you knowing if you know your product uh, your fentanyl product is is potentially lethal and we have the messages to prove that that people know what their product is and you're profiting off of that anyway selling it anyway and profiting off of it uh, and that directly leads to a death and then it's a fentanyl overdose it's a fentanyl toxicity in the in the um, death certificate then we're gonna we're gonna prosecute you for your actions for for the harm you you committed in our community okay not all corners apparently see things the same way because I, I read where on that bill, that particular bill where the coroner said that they couldn't say it was fentanyl because that a person also had uh, marijuana in their system. And Sherry, that's what I've heard and I can't speak to other um, cases in other counties, but you know, following this bill, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of official that doesn't want to just say too bad I can't help you right, right. I, so I right, went up there right I went up there and testified and said you know this this bill doesn't work and I said I said but look we're doing it in Pima County we're holding people accountable in Pima County and so from there my my people my experts uh, both in my shop in my agency at the Pima County Attorney's Office and in law enforcement, the detectives we work with, they've been doing statewide trainings ever since on on how to um, make this available statewide. Uh, I've consulted directly with the Maricopa County Attorney on this, um, and and we've we've provided uh, resources and trainings ever since. So you're moving forward with trying to hold people accountable just this particular bill is is not going to fly the way it's written it it just couldn't it it you know it didn't it didn't make any traction it just it was so it was just so incredibly broad and it was going to encapsulate um or and frankly put put people at risk who who shouldn't be at risk at the exact same time that we were trying to extend the good samaritan bill which says that you, you we're not going to prosecute you for simple drug possession uh, or paraphernalia when you call 911 to save a person's life in, because we need people to call 911 the moment they suspect an overdose is happening if you have narcan on hand and i i made my office a um public health credited distributed office because we're right downtown of course and we supply it at resource fairs uh, on the weekends and at night um, we want you to use Narcan immediately. We want you to call nine one one immediately because every second counts. Because an overdose can be reversed if if in time, and and we we need to make sure that people aren't afraid to do that. They need to call nine one one immediately. And there are no consequences if you call nine one one. So that's that's a step in the right direction as far as I'm concerned. People need not be afraid. Emma, what do you find on your your college campus when it comes to drugs? Well, 
a few months ago, there was a car stopped coming into my school that had millions of dollars worth of fentanyl that the police stopped and it was coming straight to where I go to school. And so I actually knew a kid who personally died from a fentanyl overdose. He thought it was, it was an accident. He thought it was cocaine, but it wasn't. Mm. And like coming from a child, like a student who knew him too, it was kind of like, it's such an accident and just like the littlest bit can kill you. And like, I have like, I know a bunch of people who take Adderall which is also a big concern mm. because you don't really know what's in that. You're kind of just getting it from wherever. Like you don't, kids are kind of just desperate for the Adderall because it helps you with your studies and stuff. And so that's why it's scary, especially in a big college town who's like kind of known for like going out in like the Greek system because you don't really okay. know what's pure and what's not pure. And we do a lot of programmings and stuff like I'm in Greek life. And so we do a lot of programmings about fentanyl and drug use and all that but like it can only do so much because it just kind of takes one person that you know for it to happen for everyone to be like oh like this is actually real it you know um i think sherry you had dea on um uh not too long ago and and i I know that they've worked really hard and uh, all of law enforcement has worked really hard on the phrase one pill can kill and that's you know and that's another useful phrase because it is absolutely true it is absolutely true that one pill can kill um even on even for someone who's been using because you because you don't know you, you never can be sure emma that's just so smart of you you never can be sure exactly what you're getting um people can never be can often be sure that they don't know what they're selling um which is why it's important to focus our resources on going after the the larger scale suppliers that you just described. Um, that's where we need to prioritize our work is on these higher level dealers and suppliers who who are profiting off of uh, their trade. You know, that's the other thing. I don't think I if you put a bunch of pills in front of me, put a lineup of pills, I couldn't tell you what those pills were. If they if they were aspirin or you know Advil, I, right. I wouldn't be able yeah. to identify them. And, you know, to, to go out and, you know, somebody's having a midnight trunk sale of of illegal drugs, how do you know? You don't. So, you know, you need to be careful. I even tell people, students especially, if you've got medication that you need, keep it locked up so nobody else is playing with it, too. Yeah. And don't share your meds with anybody and don't take theirs. Right. It's just not worth the chance. Yeah, exactly. And... I know Biden just had a meeting with China. Mm. What is your opinion on how do you think that's going to work? They're trying to get them to shut down some of these places that are sending the chemicals to Mexico Mm. that are making the drugs come up to America. How do you think that's going to work out? Well, I I have two reactions to that. You know, anytime we have... um, we have work and and policy work at the highest level of, at production is is again getting getting at um, the root of of where this is all coming from. But when we talk about root cause, we're always going to have to go back to American demand, right. you know. And I think again, once again, Emma, you just really brilliantly highlighted it. Is that there's this constant demand? You mentioned Adderall. There's there's a demand for easy fixes to harder problems and that's you know that's behavioral it's psychological 
Um, and we, you know, we have to be getting, getting at it at the very beginning. And, and that's also why my office is very devoted to, uh, work in the juvenile system and with children and, and trying to cut it off before it, before it ever starts. So, so kids never, uh, get started on it. What is Adderall? I've never heard of it. I'm not exactly sure what it is specifically, but it's kind of what kids take and there goes from doses from five milligrams to 50 milligrams and it just kind of helps you focus. It's for ADHD mostly. It kind of just okay helps you focus. That's what kids use to do their homework. If people have tests the next day, they'll take Adderall to help them focus and get it all done. What happened to a cup of coffee? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, it was Mountain Dew, I think, is, is like, you know, so it's, I, you know, guilty as charged here. Uh, right. I, you know, I think, I think yeah. in my era it was caffeine. Like we yeah. pumped yeah. caffeine to try to write, to finish that essay all night. Yeah. And Adderall was the original um, hyperactivity um, that kids were, were prescribed, you know, properly but now college kids are using it to stay up all night and, and finish um, finish the essay, finish the exam. Yeah, kids will get it prescribed to them and like someone will be like, oh, I have a prescription to Adderall and then they will sell that. They will sell one pill from, I've seen people sell one pill for $50 and that's how some people make their money in college is they get their Adderall prescriptions filled and they sell it to kids because they will buy it. And where do you get a prescription for this? Just your pharmacy. If you have ADHD, they can prescribe you with Adderall. <laughs> that, <laughs> you're blowing my mind. <laughs> just like I, you know, some of these people, and we talked about that too, where you'll go to the dentist and they'll send you home with, you know, a right. hundred painkillers that are, you know, addictive. Right. And before you know it, you're back at the dentist mm-hmm. for another prescription. Right. Right. And, you know, chronic pain. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, during my professional career earlier in life, you know, I, I worked with a lot of clients who had been severely injured on the job, or terrible car accident, and then that's you know that's the whole nationwide story of how really how our opioid uh, epidemic began, Started. right? And and companies you know extremely recklessly uh, um, pushing their product. Frankly. Does a pharmacist, if not a pharmacist, does a doctor, if they prescribe something, do they get a kickback for that? How many times they prescribe something, or is there a way of tracking that? I, I, I don't know off. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I, I know that I know that it's part of the litigation that's been going on about the practices of of profiting off of you know reckless uh, sales practices when it came to the the quote unquote lawful opioids um and and credit to my predecessor for leading the way in arizona uh, on opioid litigation that we were able to finish off in my first year and so those funds are starting to arrive to pima county to try to help us on the on the prevention end because that's what that's what we can't and i know i know this isn't what people want to hear but at the end of the day we cannot arrest or incarcerate ourselves out of illness. Yeah, yeah, we cannot. We have to, and it's the harder way, which is how you, which is often how you know it's the right thing to do. You have to get at uh, the root cause of illness if we're going to get anywhere. Yeah, and being a drug addict is uh, an illness. 
Yeah, absolutely. Substance use disorder is is illness. Mental health illness is illness. And the problem is the jail is not a hospital. Prison's not a hospital. And so our gut instinct to try to, you know, I, I hear these phrases that, you know, people just want to sweep the streets, just make it go away, just make these people go away. And the problem is, is they come right back worse off because they haven't been to a hospital They've been to a jail or, or a prison uh, facility, and and they're worse off. We we have to get at uh, we have to get at treatment. We have to invest in it. And I think there's a metro uh, agreement for this. I think that makes Pima County different. Other other places are really struggling because officials don't talk to each other and don't plan together. And we're very very lucky here that city and county get together we just got together again i would say like three weeks ago sherry um mayor uh chair of the board county administrator chief of police um county health public health right got to be at the table and myself to continue to work 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 at this um cooperatively yeah i think that's the other thing that impressed me is and I saw it on the news a couple of weeks ago, and I don't even think it was Tucson. It was someplace. And the lady called the police. The police arrived for a medical situation. I said, why are you calling the police? Call an ambulance. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. The and, police are not ambulance people. And, Sherry, that's a perfect moment to say that, you know, we long had a crisis line. We, we've been very fortunate here in Pima County that the crisis response center is here, the CRC. Um, and now we've got the nationwide number. I, you know, I'm always saying nine eight eight, right? It's if it's a if it's medical or a, a behavioral crisis happening in front of you, it's not nine one one. It's nine eight eight, and that, it's beautiful that we have that number now. And it goes straight to uh, our crisis mobile teams. Mobile teams can come out, uh, or or obviously ambulance can come out. And uh, and the crisis response center is is no wrong door. They will take you in. Period, which is incredible. When they take you in, do they keep you? What? How does that work? What is the system? And does it depend on what your situation is, or explain it? Uh, absolutely. So let's let's back up just a second, and we'll picture a, a police officer on the street um, just doing his or her regular job and comes across a, a person in crisis. If the officer suspects it's substance use disorder, they can go straight to Kodak um, off of Fort Lowell 24-7, 365, and it takes about 10 to 12 minutes to drop that person off there direct into treatment, and then the officer's back out on the street. If the officer is interacting with the person and the officer says, this is persistent, this is acute, this is this is looking like mental health, they can go straight to the crisis response center on the south side. That Sherry, that's a three to five minute drop off. I've I've obviously personally done both of these on my many many ride alongs to see how <laughs> to see how it works, and it's amazing. The um, a, a secured gate opens up. The officer drives through to the back of the crisis response center off of um, Ajo. Um, and it's and then it's secured, and they they have their own entrance. They turn over the person and a declaration of of what they saw, what they observed. The nurse, the nursing staff, then offers them water and snacks, 
and the officer is back on the street in in three to five minutes. So is there a police report written? No, no. Well, of course, it it all depends. If they've just encountered the person suffering on the street and there's no you know crime going on, then then no, there's there's nothing. If they want to do a long form complaint about some crime that they observed, they can they can do that. But that we're just we're talking about the people you know living out in the street, open air homelessness, or wandering and in crisis. So the the reporting is done by the facility. They're the ones that keep track of any records. Well, the, the officer swears out uh, a, just a one sheet of, like, why am I here? Like, right. why? what did I observe about this person? Like, why have I, I, why have I brought this person here to help the medical staff know? So, so they know it's not his in-laws. He's dropping off his in-laws trying to <laughs> right 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 <laughs> right it's it's uh right it's credible um you know we, we and we we train on this you know is does this look persistent yes this person appears to have been living out here for a long time you know is it yeah. acute meaning like is it very serious you know yes they were um talking to themselves you know seeing something that i can't see that kind of that kind of thing going on and the officer's back on the street in three to five minutes if there's a medical issue going on with the patient that's just been dropped off um kino south is the doors face each other so they can go right into an er if they need to get checked out otherwise they can stay at the crc for up to 24 hours and be observed and be fully evaluated and then the hope is is that we're connecting them with a service provider to intervene for them and to keep them off the street to see what their needs are so that they that they don't end up right back where they were as as would happen if they're dumped out of the jail so is 24 hours a long enough period of time i know i've i've heard where cases where you know somebody's got some kind of drug in their system and it takes more than 24 hours to get back to maybe normal well and certainly if if we're talking about substance use disorder you know longer term detox and then and inpatient treatment is the key there and and you know there's a whole continuum um they have to be willing to do it though they have to be willing to do it that's right that's okay right. how often does that happen yeah. well it, well w- from a law enforcement perspective you know in in our shop our sense is that if we can intervene for one person the efficiency question the cost to the taxpayer is is how many contacts they're having and we've we've interrupted so in other words we have we have a particular court called the compass court and it and it's um that's a dual diagnosis court meaning there's substance use disorder and mental health it's both okay. uh which is which is common of course of you know people will self medicate um uh, to try to deal with their mental health um issues and and so we pour a lot of resources into a small group of people but one person in that compass court uh, might have had 350 police contacts in the previous year. So this, so the wow. save right, the savings yeah. to law enforcement, the savings to the community, the savings to um, our resources is just incredible. Um, if you can turn that one life around, and obviously that's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, going at the root of the problem. Right. So yeah. we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few. The 
FBI and its partners encourage Americans to take proactive steps to enhance their cybersecurity during National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, an FBI program aimed at preparing students for careers in cybersecurity expands. The FBI Cyber STEM program is designed for high school students with an interest in cybersecurity and science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM. Heather Schuck of the FBI's Pittsburgh field office says the program was born in 2015 out of concerns over a future gap in qualified cybersecurity professionals. We realized that the Pittsburgh AOR had developed into a technology hub, but we were having challenges hiring cyber-trained folks. FBI Pittsburgh teamed up with the University of Pittsburgh so its curriculum could be modified for high school students. The FBI participates in providing touch points to high school students to give them background on real FBI cases. The program is currently offered in Pittsburgh, Miami, and Washington, D.C. field offices, and efforts to roll it out to other offices are underway. With FBI This Week, I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau. Law Matters and Pima Federal Credit Union are hosting a free educational event on the topics of internet scams and how AI can impact your future. Join us at 10 a.m. on Saturday, December 2nd at Pima Federal Credit Union, located at 6850 North Oracle Road in Tucson. For more information and to sign up, visit lawmatters1030.org. Law Matters wants you to know all phone and email scams follow the same basic pattern. A potential victim is contacted, they are given a compelling reason to act, and then they are told to pay money. In every scheme, there is an urgency factor. These scammers are professionals. They are using scripts that work. It is okay to hang up or tell a lie if you have to. Better yet, don't answer the phone if you don't recognize the number. If in doubt, reach out to a friend or a family member. Thank you for staying with us. So, how hard is it to prove that the person who sold the drugs knew or didn't know that there was fentanyl in that drug? Well, uh, what's been what's been incredible about these cases truly is the quality of the evidence that law enforcement are bringing to us, especially in in what I'll just call messaging. And there's a number of different kinds of apps that are used. Um, to message back and forth because that's what sellers are relying upon to to get the connection to to arrange the time and place to meet and so the the evidence is so rich that the person knows what they're selling um they're you know they're basing cost or price off of off of what they have and and in our worst cases emma they're bragging about how heavy the fentanyl is or how mm-hmm. um you know and that and that their buyers should be you know should go slow and 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 various phrases that show that the seller knows uh knows how toxic their product is and and profiting off of it um and and that was one of our very first cases that we had where uh, there there were two juveniles buying um, from this woman, uh, and so, so the the level of recklessness and and kind of the power she had over the kids, um, you know, was was the first case that was real obvious that that mm-hmm. uh, we needed to hold her accountable for how much harm she had caused. Yeah. So, have, has your cases resulting in fentanyl gone up? Would you say? Like, have you seen more as the years go on? 
I I would say that these cases have kind of held steady. Um, they, they are they are extreme. You know, uh, it's, it's you know uh, this is so <sighs> um, crass and painful. But you know, I I think dealers aren't aren't wanting their buyers to to overdose because mm-hmm. they want to keep selling. And so these are really extreme cases that we're we're talking about. Um, but certainly our unit that prosecutes dealers is is extraordinarily full uh, in work. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Yep. I bet. Yeah. Okay. So how does how does Pima County, I know you said they've been out teaching other counties how to fix this. How do they create the laws that we have here to work in different counties up the road? Well, I think that was part of what I was trying to share up at the legislature was that we have state laws that apply statewide. And, and so my, what, what I was sharing with the legislature is that we already have manslaughter on the books. You know, in other words, you cannot sell poison to someone knowingly profit off of it, causing their death and, and go un unaccounted for, you know, again, we're, we're going to prosecute you and hold you completely accountable here in Pima County. And that's why we've been sharing our prosecutorial tools, if you will, and doing those statewide trainings to show how it can be done. But the, and they, and Sherry, I, I want to add and, and to Emma's question as well, you know, I gave you an example of, of the easiest case, right, where uh, this woman was was warning that her product was was very heavy uh, and selling it anyway and profiting off of it. You know, that's an easier case to prosecute. It's much harder when there's four or five things on board in a person's system. Um, you know, we the, and then you have a cause what's called a causation problem because it's impossible to, to say for sure what caused a person's death. And and so, you know, those those aren't going to get prosecuted in a in a similar way. Um, but the, and that's why you have your experts to check for for what was in the system and what uh, what caused the death. OK, take um, a grown adult experimenting which i i think is a dumbass thing to do buying drugs and pretending you know getting high cocaine whatever it is what about like this california case here this 15 month old child died from an overdose of fentanyl their parents are being um charged with murder because they brought it into the house what about the person that sold it to them Will they also, do you think that's a possibility that they too will be charged if they know who that seller was? I think that, I think that that gets into a causation problem as well. Um, it, it, we could think of it as like an intervening event. It's so, Sherry, we have, we have had those cases as well, have come through the homicide panel that we have almost every Monday where uh young children or babies have um have lost their lives because they got a hold of a pill because children will put anything in their mouth at a certain age as we know and and if parents are bringing that in and and being reckless they're they're going to get charged accordingly um the seller needs to be held if you can track back to the seller they need to be held accountable for selling but it's going to be hard to 
it would be hard, um, generally speaking, I think, to prove that you knew that there were children in the home and that the parents would be reckless with it. It, you know, it, it, it gets harder to, um, go down the chain of events. And again, that's why we've got to get, um, education going. I know pediatricians offices are dealing with this all the time. If they suspect that there's substance use going on, they try to do uh, education campaigns uh, on their own about making sure that, you know, the house is safe um, in every possible way. Do they way. have a duty to call and report if uh, they th- suspect a child has been, you know, exposed to drugs that they shouldn't be exposed to? Oh, yes. I, yeah, there's mandatory reporting um, when, you know, if if they suspect um an injury in a child or it or a toxicity in a child you know due to something illegal absolutely that that has to be difficult yeah (laughs) this is like okay you're taking care of this person so marijuana technically marijuana is not a fatal drug and i think people are confused because it is addictive and people go oh it's just marijuana but it's addictive isn't this a stepping stone don't don't people use marijuana and then they want a bigger high, a bigger high, a bigger high? So they're they're just working their way up to the illegal drugs. I I think the problem is that it the the studies on this I think are are really widely varied. I, I think when we're talking about kids and experimenting you can see it go up in that direction but it but it it doesn't bear out i think among adults and sherry what i'll say is that at least in my limited experience just talking about my my three and a half years now in office and and looking at those homicide panels every monday what i will say is that alcohol uh, brings in more cases than than marijuana does I, you know alcohol um in the system uh causing crashes out on our roads um alcohol in the system causing just really bad judgment and and taking um what should have been an argument into a full-on fight and then of course you know don't get me started on the proliferation of of firearms because the availability of firearms has had a huge impact on on the homicide cases what you know what should have been a minor argument then someone just reaches for a gun that's within reach um and it, and it takes it from zero to 60 um so so i guess i i guess i'm forced to focus priorities and re and limited resources on what what causes the the most harm in our community that that we're seeing on a daily basis alcohol and guns yeah it's a bad it's a bad combination it's yeah. a bad combination <laughs> yes absolutely i know there's a program um where you can have your i don't know your conviction set aside what's the difference between a set aside and expunge so, and actually, Sherry, we now have a third thing, which is to seal your record. Um, and so, and that's a new thing. That's brand new as of um, just this past January, I want to say. And so, so we'll start with expungement. That came in with Prop 207 when Prop 207 was passed. Um, the, the 
part that was exciting, I think, for the mo- for most people was that um, it would allow you to expunge and get rid of a, a minor personal possession marijuana felony um, or conviction or even just paraphernalia of which um, thousands of people statewide uh, were still burdened by by old uh, convictions that that keep you from employment from education from housing and but that's just simple possession of marijuana and that's really the only expungement we still have a new ceiling order came in for low-level nonviolent felonies uh, over a certain age um, where it's it's old enough and you've been demonstrating good behavior ever since that oh, the, time. the activity was old enough. Right, right. The The conviction is old enough, uh, and so you can get that record sealed. And the point of all of this is that is we want to encourage good behavior. We, if you, you know, if you find yourself involved in the criminal justice system, we want you to be held accountable, and then we want you to move on and not get stuck in the system. We want you to come back and be productive members of the community because that's how we drive the crime rate down. That's how we have a, self, uh, a, a safer, healthier community. And so if we saddle a person with a felony for life and they're branded for life and they can't get decent employment, they can't, they can't make it better through school, their housing is always vulnerable or and just not good quality then then they can't they can't really get that stable footing and, and come back and we're just and we're we're undermining our our the strength of our own local economy when we do that um so it so these opportunities are are huge and people are taking advantage of it because they've they've demonstrated that they want to be good productive members of our community how long does that um have to be in your past Sherry, I'm going to have to look it up. I, the number ten is popping into my head. Um, it's a pretty limited start. You, you know, it's. I think. I think they have to be ten years old. And I'll. I'll look that up and and shoot that back to you. Um, but I'll give you a quick story, Sherry. That at one of my very first expungement clinics, when we were new in office. Um, there were two gentlemen who caught my eye who came in because one, one of them might have been might have well been in his 80s and he had like a 1970 conviction you know for having a joint in his pocket and I think he just wa- he truly just wanted on the principle of the matter he just wanted it to go away finally and he was delighted to be able to do that but but much more importantly I think is was the young man who came in uh and it was a it was a juvenile conviction for having a joint in his pocket but it was still messing him up because he was a highly skilled uh nurse and finally getting that expunged he said i'm i i'm going to immediately be able to promote they've been wanting to promote me and they couldn't because of the amount of, because of the clearance and I'm going to be able to immediately uh, promote now and he stood up and he said thanks so much for doing this for our economy and shook my hand and and that's huge that you know huge. we want people to do well uh, and so it's these are really common sense reforms that that are going to make our, our community healthier and safer and they do that periodically that down at the um, what is it the convention center Yes, we just did the third Fresh Start in October. And it's called Fresh uh, Start. Fresh Start. 
Um, but we run we run clinics um, monthly, uh, and and anyone can go to our website um, at pcao.gov. <laughs> I'll pick that up really quick. You can go to our website and fill out uh, a form right on our website. It takes like three minutes and submit it to see if we can't um, can't get you get, get you relief. Help. Yeah. So what's the set aside then? And I want to just correct myself. PCAO, as in Pima County Attorney's Office, PCAO.Pima.gov. Okay. And Sherry, the set the set aside was just not it was not effective and that's why we that's why the legislature took it up to a ceiling um ceiling meaning s-e-a-l you know to get it sealed um because if you can you can get it you can get a certificate that says good job but if if a conviction is still living on your record and people can see it that you just can't that's what i was gonna ask because i know people have had things um expunged and it's still on the record you just can't read it it's like redacted and that that has led to more problems because what was it a homicide what'd you do you know not a simple traffic ticket right 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 you don't want it to look worse than it was and again um and again that you know that's why it should be completely sealed and i and i and also we also need to remember security this isn't gonna um completely disappear right i mean national security clearances and things like this are going to always be able to pick stuff up as as they should but but just getting you know getting an apartment or getting you know getting a a grant to go to school um that's what we want people to be able to being able to be promoted at your job yeah that's right that's exactly right simple things so we have um fentanyl we have marijuana, we have cocaine, we have all these things that are illegal, and <laughs> yes. it's unfortunate that people are taking part in that, and, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people about um, the drug situation, they they feel very strongly that people who sell these drugs should be accountable, held for homicide, at least, and I'm like, okay, there's accountability on both sides, because what you did or what somebody did that you know was also illegal. Illegal drugs, it's in the name. You're buying illegal drugs. Mm. How do you, how do you, I know in tort law it's like a percentage here and a percentage there. It's, mm. you know, very tricky. How do you, how do your people justify or, you know, the, the scale of justice? How does that work? Well, on the, on the criminal side, most statutes are designed to where, you know, the, the victim's behavior, um, shouldn't, shouldn't be a factor. Most, most statutes are written out to just hold people accountable for the harm that they have caused. But yes, it gets, it, it it does get complicated in this arena, as we were discussing earlier, if, if someone, overdoses or or you know often it's it's a heart attack um or some type of um catastrophic event and they they die and if there's multiple things in their system um then you then you have you do have that causation problem um and and it can become harder to to hold people accountable but that's but that's holding people accountable at the highest order for homicide you know that there's our our drug laws for selling 
uh, high levels of of narcotics are going to get you in a heck of a lot of trouble and and doing significant prison time anyway. Um, and and that's that's where the the bulk of the work is is going on. Do you think doubling or making it more severe jail time, more severe, you know, um, f- financial fine would help stop or slow down the sale of drugs? It hasn't historically. And I think that's the real tension is that the war on drugs it just was a terribly failed policy It just, that went on for decades and decades. And it just hasn't gotten us where where we need to go. We have to. Uh, and and it's three times as expensive. You know, we so we had the most expensive system in the world. We incarcerated the, the most people in the world, you know, as if as if Americans were were the most evil people in the world, right? You know, and and it it's it wasn't rational and it wasn't data driven or solution oriented. You know, we were paying a fortune, an absolute fortune to incarcerate the heck out of everyone and and not getting not getting anywhere, not getting like not spinning getting, your wheels. It's spinning your wheels. That's that's precisely right. And so so we have to start making those investments in what causes the demand you know, the sickness uh, that causes the demand and, and, and at its root cause, you know, investing in children, you know, again, education, right. Pay for education on the front end and take care of our children in a holistic way, you know, give them, give them good nutrition, good schooling, good medical, so that we're not just building more prisons. You know, at the end of the day that that's, we we need smart we need smart on crime not it, tough on crime i remember my dad telling me when this came to light in my household and it was on the news and i was watching the news with my parents which i i didn't usually watch the news but i was i was in grade school and my dad looked at me and said don't ever do that it was about somebody who was taking drugs and I don't know what i don't remember what happened to him he said you're smarter than that and it will ruin your life mm-hmm. period yeah, I think kids need to be educated at a young age because that's kind of how they grow up. And if they're kind of taught and it's kind of drilled into their head as at a young age, they won't even want to do it when they're older. And like putting this in school programs, I feel like too is important because if you don't have a parent who's telling you not to do it, if you have someone at school telling you not to do it, it could make a huge difference with how you're educated and how you think about drugs growing up. Um, Emma, I think that's... Those words are so wise. There, there was a study that came out recently in the juvenile world that said that one positive adult in a child's life is enough to make a huge difference, mm-hmm. that they can show that in the data. And it does not have to be a parent. Mm-hmm. It's one really good person, teacher, coach, uh, that intervenes for a kid and shows the way, right? Models good behavior, educational someone that the child can trust and talk to about problems and stresses makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, completely. Now I told you about, um, we used to have a program called Real Kids Productions. Mm. And I remember I was doing the program. I just kind of fell into it. Doing the program had a lot of kids involved with doing TV shows. And one day the phone rang and it was a judge. And he said, I've got this young man. He did something that, you know, something stupid and he has to do community service 
And I said, okay, who are you and where'd you get my number? Because I didn't believe him. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, I, I took on this this kid. I told him I have zero tolerance. I, I'm not fit for this. I don't think I'm qualified <laughs> for what you're wanting me to do, but okay. So I went and I t- talked to the child. He was a high school kid. Talked to him and told him to be at the studio what time. And he said he couldn't get there because he had no ride. I went and picked him up every week. I would go and pick him up, and he never, ever missed. And one day, I I don't know what he did, but one day I did ask him, where are your parents? Parents were either drunk or drugged up and passed out and sometimes Mm -hmm. not home. One's in prison. One time Mm -hmm. he told me he's in jail. And so he did his time and learned how to do TV stuff. He was really, really good at what he did. And... When his time was up, I said, hey, you completed everything. I contacted the judge, told him what happened. And he just looked at me very, you know, like, that means I can't come back. I said, no, you can come up all the time, you know, every every week if yeah. you want. Mm-hmm. And so I would go pick him up. I always made sure I fed him before I took him home. <laughs> and That's wonderful, Sherry. Just, you know, just something for him to, he had a voice. Yep. And he was productive. And we did a lot of TV shows. We did a lot of interviewing people. They did a comedy show. Wow. The kids did what they wanted to do. It gave them something to do, too. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Absolutely. And it would, we'd still have that program today, but the city of Tucson, without notice, closed down the TV station. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so it was like overnight. Okay, sorry, guys. <laughs> We, we have no program anymore. <laughs> well, and Sherry, I, I think you just made it an amazing pitch for Big Brothers Big Sisters. I know, I know that they are in constant need of the bigs, you know, especially Big Brothers. Uh, th- that's, that's often a long wait list where kids are, are really hoping to be matched. Those programs, you know, and you, you just, you invent, you and the judge invented your own little. He gave, uh, I, over the course, I had three kids. Oh, that's him. that's fantastic! And no, I didn't. Can you so. say which judge? Can you say which judge? I don't remember don't his remember name, okay. but I remember we'll I didn't out. believe him. I, I almost hung up on him. It says, "Who are you? <laughs> what do you want?" But you know, yeah, I think people need to just like reach out, especially with the kids. Educate the kids. Absolutely. Let them know that you know this is not the road you want to go down. Right, right. It's a mistake. Right. And the same thing with guns. Yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah. No, we need to we need to do a better job. What what would your suggestion be, Emma? For educating? Educating kids. I think just having some speakers come into classrooms, I think would go a long way. I remember when I was in elementary school, we had guest speakers come in. I went to Catholic school, so we kind of did that every year and so you speak latin too (laughs) (laughs) no i wish but we had them come in and they would tell us i remember from k through eighth grade it was every year and they would always tell us and we would get it drilled in our heads in high school we kind of started a little bit in the lesson plans about drugs as well too but it wasn't really something that i grew up around but i think that kids who are less fortunate that maybe do grow up in troubled households are especially given those grants and access to those educational programs about drugs, it could do so much more than we think it could. And you know what? I think it, it, you know, it's nice that law enforcement goes in and they have their uniform on and everything, but I think it needs to be everyday people. Yeah. Right. People not in uniform need to be saying the same thing. Yeah. Right. And, you know, 
And it could be an undercover cop. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just people need to be putting that message out there. And they need to read it all the time. Yeah. In all their books. And we do these. We do these. We're doing next week. I think it's next week is December 3rd. We'll be doing a presentation at Pima Federal Credit Union on Oracle Road. If you want more information, send me an email because I'm not sure it's even on our website yet. Mm. But we're going to be talking about scams and artificial intelligence. Excellent. And we're going to be explaining to people how to protect yourself, especially when it comes to money matters. Mm. Please, please, please don't fall for the scams. That Sherry, I, I wholeheartedly thank you for doing that because that is an area also where prevention goes such a long way. We, we can teach, you know, our, our fraud unit prosecutes, obviously, and we have a new fraud unit. And when they hit the one year mark, they had already uh, captured a million dollars in restitution for victims. Wow. But but I really think it's the work that we do out in the community teaching people how to avoid scams, how to, how to realize it's happening so you can just shut it off, frankly, hanging up the phone uh, or cl- deleting the email. It, it goes such a long way um, to preventing it from ever happening. So and I, I know people are so astute to what's going on that they'll just screw with the people if they're on the phone. <laughs> they'll just you know, <laughs> string them along, <laughs> ruin their day. But yeah, you need to be careful. And the the best thing is just hang up or don't answer if you don't recognize the number. Don't answer. Right. Right. And if there's a pause, I'll pick up the phone because I have to with my job. I have to pick up the phone. And if there's a pause, hang up. Right. You know, right. because that that's some call center probably and somebody who doesn't doesn't need to be talking to you that day. So well, well and the and the and the two key things to always have is is, you know, a loved one or a good friend that you trust to run an idea by. You know, don't make a large purchase. Don't don't make an unplanned purchase without running it by them and talking it out. And and number two, if you're if you're worried about a loved one, if it's one of those scams where they're pretending to be a, a loved one, you take control, you call them back. You you know, you call their mom, you call their brother, um, and and do your own investigation before taking action. Just slow it down. That's what we always just say. Slow it down, because the scammer always is urgent, and it's right now, and I need you to pay this right now. It's oh, always yeah. urgent, and and, we and tell don't hang up while down. we go to the store and buy those gift cards because I want to <laughs> talk to you the whole time. Right, yeah. right, 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 yeah. right, right. So I've I've it's so many cases. Yeah, you know it's it's yeah. not cool. So. What words of wisdom? We've got one minute left. What words of wisdom do you want to leave our people with? Oh, that's a tall order, Sherry. <laughs> I think, um, you know, we've we've covered so many topics today, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna back it out and just go really really high level. I think a lot of what we talked about today is stress and anxiety and grief coming from a couple of really hard years for the country. And I think that truly the more we check on each other and reach out to each other and try to restore personal connections um, is going to be healthier for the, the whole community. 
and and that's in the prevention area and working with children and everything we talked about today very cool very cool thank you for coming in thank you emma for being here yeah and thank you for listening and until next week shop local and stay safe Thank you.